Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I am Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. Hello, and I am Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And in today's episode, we're covering minute 35 of the movie, The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, Hadley moves through the seven stages of grief over the merman. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) That trombone. Oh, he's so sad. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it was probably a shit show anyway, if it would have been the merman. Because how can one merman take all those people down? It's just one of them, you know? Right. I'm just saying. Yeah, and they'd all have to be in the lake or, you know, what's the scenario where it works with the merman? Right. Like, I didn't see a lot of hot tubs out there. I mean, (laughs) was it supposed to be like a quicker job? Like, we're all just chilling in the lake and he's just like, whoop, we're done. Wrap that shit up. We're done by noon. I mean, do you just keep going in the lake? How does that? I, I don't understand. I mean, what do you mean you keep going in the lake? Like you get there, you go in the lake, you swim. Right. Right. But then you just keep going back to the lake. There's no control over that. The merman is an aquatic being. How does that work exactly? And it's not like he's moving fast. <laughs> well, maybe he has like stingers, you know, like stun stuff on his flipper feet or his t- tail. Oh. And he could like stun them. Because I wouldn't imagine they'd go back if somebody dies in it the first time. <laughs> Um, or, you know, maybe there's a scenario where the first person dies and then they go back to try to, like, make sure that they're dead or something, you know, like, go in and try to save her. Who knows what happens? That that would be interesting. And maybe that's why most people don't vote for the merman, because he's a tough sell, you know. It's more like a fetishization of people being killed by like a creature from the black lagoon type of character you know probably for hadley is what i'm guessing Mm, yeah because i'm trying to think like a thing for the merman he does have a thing for the merman yeah so i'm like well i guess maybe they would be having sex in the lake or something which is kind of god that's just gonna you're just gonna get an infection man the lake water's not super clean so i don't know maybe it was like because it's the whore you know and it's like teenagers and like oh the 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 dirty teenage sex in the lake and it's there so it takes them out in the lake instead of in the woods because the buckners are a land-based well not entirely land-based um as we see but right mostly woods land-based but yeah i just everything has to happen in the lake so maybe that's why it's just somewhat untenable well but Yeah, I believe you're right on that. But also, I mean, we know the merman makes it out of, he's not in the lake at the end when we see him. Yeah. So he's got the ability to hump himself on the (laughs) land one way or another. Right. But he's like a a seal. Right. You know, he doesn't have... You know, he's not like Ariel. He's not growing a pair of sweet legs and walking down the hallway. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. I agree. Totally. Yeah. So Hadley's Hadley's a little, 
he's a little sad and that's kind of endearing. So, but to backtrack slightly, we start this minute and again, and I, I talked about it a little bit. I talked about it from last minute that it's interesting how the minutes cut off and that the, the punchline, so to speak from Truman gets cut off in the last minute and goes into this one. So there's a bridge of Truman saying monsters, magic gods, and Lynn saying, you get used to it. And Truman says, should you? So the top of this minute is Truman saying, should you? And then we go into Hadley being kind of, he's kind of sad. He's a little, little, little pissy pants about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I really love Sitterson's slow empathy approach to him. Like there's a mm-hmm. walk of genuine bro empathy. You know, he's like, I know, I know you're disappointed, man. I, I know it. This really takes a, a spotlight on their friendship that he's he's sensitive to this, you know. Right. He knows he's hurt over it. Yeah, he definitely looks kind of like he's crossed his arms now. And then he's sort of looking away, kind of like, Mer, this isn't what I wanted to happen. Merman. <laughs> he's, I think some people say this, and I don't really know where this comes from. Maybe you do. Maybe it's more of your generation. He looks butthurt about it. (laughs) I love how you're ascribing butthurt to my generation. But that's totally... Oh my god, my generation is like the lost generation. We're too old to be millennials, but we're not old enough to be Gen Xers. I don't know what the f we are. I heard boomlets yeah. was something that we were. We're children of <laughs> boomlets. Yeah, that always resonated with me. Children of boomers. That's funny, but yeah, yeah I mean that still doesn't quite make. I mean, because I'm a child of boomers too. So, anyways, yeah. So if anybody knows the origin of butt hurt, maybe it's in the <laughs> slang slang dictionary or something but that's like what he it. looks like to me yeah we're the we're the butthurt generation we're not <laughs> i'm gonna just refer to us as the butthurt generation i like that I think <laughs> it, i'm gonna own it those who were born in the late 70s give a shout out we're the butthurt generation Woo! <laughs> yeah and then there's some good physical work here with hadley saying he had the conch in his hands and he's like putting up his hand like mimicking uh, what Kurt was doing, you know, holding mm-hmm. the conch kind of harkens back to that time way back down in the in the basement when they were, you know, just minutes ago. That seems like a forever ago. <laughs> Does. Kurt had that conch in his hand and was putting it up to his lips and and uh, then something else caught his eye. And then all of a sudden a whole no- new scenario came to the fore when things started getting read out of that diary yeah it was very close it was so close you know and i love how he's like i'm never gonna see a merman ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's um to me that's what's that thing called where they say uh if you see a gun in the first act you're gonna see somebody shoot the gun in the a later act or at the end you know what i'm mm-hmm. talking about yep yep totally yeah yeah the setup for this is is really yeah that's something that drew talked about that people oh, really yeah, yeah that people really resonated with the the setup of the merman and the payoff that happens mm. in act three that that really Check just like gun that's what it's called mm. 
I just wanted to get it right because I know people reference it, but I kind of forgot what it was called. So Drew was talking about that that whole thing with the merman specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was a real efficient, effective payoff for people that people were like, oh, my God, yeah, like they got it, you know, and it really I, I can't remember if it was at Austin when they when they or South by Southwest where they ended up debuting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's I, I remember reading him specifically saying that that was a big it was a thing that tested really well with people. Gotcha. Was the merman, the merman joke that we have here that we've we've set up. Not we, but them. It went over really, really well. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I and just for people, if they're like, "What is Heidi talking about with Chekhov's gun?" Just so um, we're all informed, so we're we're entertaining and educating at the same time. Um, Chekhov's gun is a dramatic principle that states that every element in a story must be necessary and irrelevant elements should be removed elements should not appear to make false promises by never coming into play the statement is recorded in letters by anton Chekhov several times with some variations this is from wikipedia so that's why it's written that way so yeah the the Chekhov's gun how i've heard it is and how it's quoted if in the first act you have hung a pistol on the wall, then in the following one, it should be fired. Otherwise, don't put it in there. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, I've heard it paraphrased um, with different people talking about movies and other storytelling kind of things. So, but like it, 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 it kind of changes the way you watch a movie, you know, because you go, okay, looks like they're setting up into one of those guns, you know, like you mm-hmm. kind of see in the beginning a little bit of what may be paying off later on. And yeah, I think this one's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those really great devices because I, I remember when I watched the first time through, I just thought it was character color, you know, right. and, and didn't, didn't see it coming that it was actually something that was going to pay off later, which is just makes it just that much more delightful. Totally. I think it's kind of sweet here too, because citizens like, Hey dude, be thankful. You know, they're, they're terrifying and the cleanup on them is a nightmare. And this, you know, we've talked about this a few times that uh, going back to the, fertility land of lakes goddess from right <laughs> talent or testy back in the day we talked a little bit about that of of what's what's the cleanup situation look like because there was that wasn't that there was like a crazy jar of what we postulated was like a flesh eating bacteria or right that's or good something. for breaking down flesh so yeah yeah, so we were talking about how that might be being used at some point for, yeah, for cleanup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then also dragging the lake with those um, those triad uh, hooks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that could be something that has to happen if, if, he, um, if he's the one that's chosen for the scenario, then maybe there's some nasty stuff that has to be you know they have to drag the lake and then there's all the blood and then i mean he when we get to see the merman later on he i you know as i recall he has quite a quite a lot of teeth you know Mm kind of like a like a um a shark you know or something like that so Mm -hmm. he probably mutilates the bodies quite effectively (laughs) (laughs) sounds nasty yeah, and he's kind of gross. He's not attractive. He's not like an Aquaman, you know? Right. He's not like a just like a killing Jason Momoa or something. He's just right. really <laughs> He's more creature than, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, even the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, people who follow us on Twitter may have already noticed this, but I kind of have a, a thing for him. And there's just something about his physique and the way that he's, as a child, watching these classic movies with him in it. There was something about him that was endearing and captivating and sort of sexy somehow. So this is definitely not sexy. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Creature from the Black Lagoon is more humanoid looking, man-like, very built right. man-like, but aquatic versus the merman in this, which is more like a blue seal. Yeah. yeah. And I think his head or his face, when I think of it, maybe I can look it up at another time and kind of check back in. But I think of like an anglerfish kind of mm. you know, big, big jaw. And a whole lot of teeth. Yeah. Yeah. is gross. And I guess he leaves a mess too. But, you know, as we... <laughs> like, oh, God. Horrible yeah. situation. Oh, man. Man. Oh, yeah. my gosh. What? Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I can... <laughs> I was just saying, we'll talk about the blowhole more when that we get to that minute. Mm -hmm. The actual... Yeah merman minute <laughs> the payoff if you will yes. <laughs> we've moved through the stages with hadley so hadley at this point is is gotten to a place of acceptance so the buckners it's gonna be the buckners okay right they may be zombified pain worshiping backwoods idiots but they're our zombie pain worshiping backwoods idiots and with a hundred percent clearance rate right so that's pretty good. So yeah, if he's if he's gotten to the the through the five stages of grief, then now he can move on to to you know maybe having this optimistic view of um, and that's kind of what happens because he's like oh wow oh, oh. he even says uh, should we call Japan tell him to take the rest of the weekend off and Citizen's like wait a minute <laughs> let's not get carried away here that's not a good idea so yeah he, he he does move through pretty quickly there he does yeah he picks himself up he's a he's a professional he's a big boy he he gets there in the end i did want to talk a little bit about this uh comment about 100 percent clearance rate uh which i find to be a little bit interesting and i was wondering if maybe you know when we talk about i guess lethality and effectiveness and them getting the job done that they want them to do i'm wondering because there's several buckners you know because there's ma and pa two sons judah matthew and then patience so you've got five of them right uh as a you know you get like a five for one deal i guess as a creature so i can see how that would be effective because there's not just one right but i just find it to be interesting that some of these creatures are not you know born in in, in multiple in and of itself if that makes sense so it's just like one versus like you know buckners are come come out it's not just patients coming out and limping around one hand one right, armed because right, that's pretty right. to like deal with when you have five of them it's harder so i think it's kind of interesting that what they've chosen here you would think that they would do an okay job because there's so many of them yes like how do you compare them you know do you compare them by how many get released at one time do you compare them by they're really large? The snake is really big, right? right. It's a, but it's only one of them. They're not they're not releasing like five of them out. Right. It's not like an overkill. It's not like we're we're releasing the entire arsenal, the whole payload. It's one. Right. Right. So how do you when you think of something being effective, 
there's only one merman that we're thinking is going to get released. It's not five merman, mermen. It's one merman. So what might make something, you know, efficient enough at one versus the Buckners that you get five for? Yeah, well, I think it just, you know, without going through every single creature, like the snake, for instance, like you mentioned, is really big. So it might simply be able to pick them off quite easily and grab, like, I'm going to grab the whore and gobble it up. And then I'm going to grab the scholar and gobble, you know, like it just quickly dispatches them because of its size and its slitheriness and its quickness. You know, it's very speedy. So, you know, in that example, I think that would be that, you know, but also like the sugar plum fairy, nobody chose her. So, you know, maybe she's not very effective. I don't know, you know, or maybe she scares the shit out of them because she looks so freaking creepy and that she like frightens them to death. Like, I don't know, you know, they're all going to have different skill sets that we don't necessarily see by just glancing at them quickly later on when they're, you know, released. Okay. Um. So yeah, let's go ahead and move on and talk about Japan. Because cool. it's down, and and we we heard from a previous minute, you know, Stockholm went under, so we know that a lot of the different satellite complexes have failed. Right, we knew that we we knew that from an early minute. So uh, Japan, we know, is number one, <laughs> and and once again, you know, Hadley is is bemoaning their their number oneness. Of I just like to see them fall on their asses for once. Right, so. I think this is kind of interesting in that we did have uh, another joke by Hadley of, uh, so should we call Japan, tell them to take their rest of the weekend off? Because it's a, you know, again, it's a joke of, 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 of overconfidence. Right. So it's not just the overconfidence that, you know, they have a hundred percent clearance rate with the Buckners, but also Japan obviously performs really well historically from what we know. Yeah. And I think that this kind of goes back to like Lynn talking about like, are you guys like fucking around? You right, know, like, are right. you taking this seriously? So I have to wonder, and 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 this is something I didn't necessarily see, you know, when you review minutes at this level of depth, you see things you didn't before, but I really didn't see this overconfidence drop in again in this mm-hmm. minute from, you know, just watching it. Um, right. So I think that that's kind of interesting that they're still not really seeing how close they are to this being a problem, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, they're still kind of devil may care like, oh, okay, well, it wasn't the merman, but we've got these guys and they're good. They're, you know, they're 100% success rate. So let's just keep on rolling along. You know, we're we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's good to point out, that out. I was just enjoying the different um, the color schemes and like styles that are sort of like when we look at the screens here, we get the Kyoto, which is obviously Japan, and mm-hmm. it sort of has that Ringu vibe. And there's like a creepy looking girl ghost creature like floating in the middle of the room. And it's all sort of in this blue. It looks like they're in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's all kind of blue and white a little bit of black so it's almost like a black and white that had a blue gel over it or something mm-hmm. and then uh and that one's still going strong and then to its right to our right it says fail and that's rangoon 
I, I kind of wonder what's going on over there because it sort of has like an apocalypse now or something, you know, like there's a lot of dirt and um, there's some buildings and some trucks and something, something flying. Like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> a helicopter flying. There's something flying. It's got, <laughs> there's a helicopter flying through and, uh, and then Berlin, something's just burning. And that's all kind of, you know, yellows and oranges. And it's, I mean, it's, and it's flashing, fail, fail, fail. And so I was just enjoying looking at the, uh, the different color schemes and, and the different styles, because I'm assuming those all kind of hearken to different movies. And uh, maybe people know what those are. I saw someone, some things people had done on a wiki, but they weren't really that convincing to me. So maybe besides this Ringu one, maybe people think uh, if they have ideas of what the Berlin one is and the Rangoon one are. Do you have any thoughts on what those could be kind of homaging? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's enough information to be able to say Mm -hmm. uh berlin is just straight up burning right um so for me what I, and rangoon was more of a, a question to me because there isn't anything it seems to be evident you just see this kind of wasteland right you know i i think berlin to me i can fill in more of a, a like a made-up story of of somebody torched this at the end you know, in that kind of alien right. sense where, you know, we're going to have to hold on to each other and pull the pin and just, you know, we know we're done. So we're just going to, you know, blow it all up. What I think is kind of interesting is the the flashing red fail, mm -hmm. which I think is really effective visually. It isn't like you got a fax and you're like, oh, it didn't work out in Berlin. Shit. <laughs> right. You know, it happened on the monitors like fail, fail, fail. <laughs> it's just bad for the self-esteem, man. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Wah, wah, wah. It definitely has mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Something I found in one of the wikis, and it, it, I don't see, I mean, we're finishing up as far as you and I looking at this minute. It's zeroing in on Japan here. On it, mm -hmm. it, The screen is filling up with Japan. But um, somebody had put in the um, written, you know, someone, who, some fan had put in the fan wiki uh madrid looked like dracula's castle so mm. this isn't madrid i don't know if that's something we're gonna see later in another minute or if that's in a um deleted scene they also said buenos aires which i do think we see later mm -hmm. is a reference to king kong mm. um, these might be things that are also on that video the um the one i mentioned last minute in a in a previous minute the the almost every reference scene in the cabin in the woods so maybe those are things and i just wanted to um so those are things we might see in a later minute also i had mentioned earlier that uh when when harper was here who does the thing minute that when she says stockholm goes south and that stockholm is a reference to the thing and people might be like, well, wait a minute, weren't those the Norwegians that were in the thing? Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to explain that they are Norwegians in the thing, but that one of the main characters keeps referring to them as the Swedes. So even though they're Norwegian, they keep saying them that they're the Swedes. So that was where that was coming from. So just to clear that up in case anybody was like, 
what is Heidi talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, and you were talking about Buenos Aires and what was the other one you mentioned? Madrid. Madrid. Madrid, right. Um, yeah, I remembered seeing Buenos Aires before too. I don't recall Madrid right now, but I do know that there's a future scene where it's showing all the different monitors of the different complexes across right. the world and all the right. different fails. So yeah, obviously in this minute, we're really concentrating on Kyoto because that's kind of our last, US and Kyoto are our last ditch efforts, so to speak, in this world. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have the the end of this minute to uh, screaming little Japanese kids who are trying to get out of the classroom and the crazy Ringu monster. Yeah, and I like the way that's framed right in, right, like really kind of big. That's how we end because then to me, it looks like we as the audience are like oh we get to check out a little bit of another movie or another you know it's not just another scenario it's like it's kind of exciting to be watching one kind of movie and then see a glimpse of another kind of scary movie too and i think it's also interesting that from an an international film perspective this is a trope we're already familiar with as people who are in the u.s Mm -hmm. so we're having seen juan and ringu remade for you know hollywood audiences but also the purists in wanting to see that original conception we already have that as now horror trope that we can recognize and i think that's actually kind of cool yeah so is there anything else that's come up for you on the minute that you wanted to discuss i don't think so i think i'm 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 all tapped out (laughs) (laughs) all righty cool so yeah, thanks for joining us, everybody. You can find us always at cabinminutecast.com. And uh, that's about it for me. Thanks for <laughs> checking out Minute 35. And we'll see you back at the cabin. All right. All right.